Blog Talk Radio. Hi, Randy's here. Hello, Randy, and this is Robert Rogers. You've just connected to Parkinson's Recovery. This is our weekly radio show, which airs on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I interview individuals who, some of whom have the symptoms of Parkinson's currently and are talking about what they're doing to get sustained and compelling relief. I also talk to individuals who are healthcare professionals, doctors, naturopaths, physical therapists, energy healers, physical therapists, all sorts of individuals who have incredible and astonishing suggestions for what any individual can do who is currently experiencing neurological challenges. I also have just published and issued a book which is called Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. It summarizes everything that I've learned from all the radio shows, all the interviews, and all of the research that I have done over the past four years. My guest today is a truly fascinating individual. He's been recommended to me by several individuals who currently have the symptoms of Parkinson's and who report back that they have been able to get incredible relief from their own symptoms through working with Randy Eadie. Located in Delray Beach, Florida, he is known throughout the region as the Foot Whisperer. He promotes the whole body health and balance through the treatment of feet. And he'll talk about a program that is designed to help both medicalized and non-medicalized individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. So he has some quite fascinating stories to report to us. Randy, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Glad I was able to join you. So tell everybody about yourself. Well, I've um, been experiencing rehab therapy from the Department of Defense side of the equation for uh, over 16 years. And in the work that we did, I initially was assigned with movement and motion disorder conditions and some neurological muscle integration issues, particularly related to amputees. And so as we were looking at the process of understanding what was happening in the body, we started to understand this intimate relationship between what's happening with the sensations in the feet and how that relates to the rest of the body. Uh, oftentimes people know about this through reflexology and those kinds of applications and techniques, but coming at the foot from the standpoint of it really being the antenna of the body in motion happened to be a fairly um, revolutionary sort of approach, and we were able to get a lot of information back into the both allopathic and um, alternative medical community by looking at the equation this way. And it just so happened that uh, as we started to do this work, there was a lot of independent development in this focus through the feet as a way to address, um, in this particular occasion, um, Parkinson's recovery issues. Many people have the idea that in order to be able to treat Parkinson's, you need to be able to address something in the brain. Other people uh, believe that uh, there's something having to do with the digestive system. Uh, other people believe it's a chiropractic kind of an issue, but you focus on the feet. How did you arrive at the notion of treating Parkinson's through the feet and not the stomach or the head or some other part of the body? 
Well, what's interesting about coming through the feet is it actually is interconnected and interrelated to many of the digestive areas um, that are talked about in traditional Chinese medicine. So we are getting at work with the, what we know as the kidney meridians, the liver meridian, the spleen meridian, the gallbladder meridian, but we're doing it in a very specified sort of protocol. And the way I came about this approach was understanding um, conditions like what's known as mal de debarkment syndrome, which actually is a condition that a lot of sailors can sometimes contract in which they have a sensation of continual rocking even after they disembark. And when we started looking at stimulation to the feet as a way to remedy this, this was seen as a neurological um, dys dysrhythmia, or dysynchronization between the vesto, the eyes, and the ocular, the, the ears and the eye nerve sets. And so as I started to apply these techniques, I started to have conditions where uh, Parkinson's afflicted individuals were having really severe sensations with their feet, and we had a, an interesting overlap. <laughs> that was one of my patients. <laughs> so we're out here in the, in the therapeutic garden. Bye-bye. And, so, um, and that's the other end, end of the answer, actually, is I work with young children that are in a special needs category, and then I also work with uh, folks that are in their later span of life. And as we link issues between the two populations, I was able to start to arrive at answers that seemed to work for both. So as we looked at the feet, what's very fascinating is if you do a somatosensory, so you do a proprioceptive map of the body based on how it is innervated, so how those nerve endings cluster, especially in all directions in the body, you'll, you'll get a map that has very protruding lips, You'll get a body that looks like that. It's got very, very large hands, sizable genitals, and then small, normal-sized feet. But the interesting thing about that map is that is a truly static map because what happens is once the body goes into motion, the nerve sets between the hands and the feet actually alternate. The feet become about the size of the hands to the point where the American Rehabilitation Association recognizes that the feet provide almost 70% of the brain's information for body movement once the body is dynamically in motion. That's actually a very interesting phenomena to then focus on with the sensation in the feet. And that's actually how I started to get into looking at the nerve responses. So what I would do is I would stimulate different areas of the feet and then activate the balance centers in the body. And once I activated those balance centers dynamically, we'd get astounding results. And that's what we started to see with the body's literal remapping of neurosensation and, and neuromuscular integration. Tell people once again that condition that sailors got. I know many people are going to rush to their computer and want to do a search on that particular name. It, it's um, abbreviated, as, abbreviated as M, as in Mike, D as in dog, D as in dog, S. So M-D-D-S. And the proper pronunciation is mal de disembarkment syndrome. So it's, it's basically a French term for getting sick when leaving the ship. 
actually have extensive training in uh, all of the neurological issues connected to the feed and know exactly how to treat and, and uh, where to push and how to stimulate. Um, if a person's having motor difficulty, if they just begin to stimulate their feet in any way, will that help? Um, it's, it's a yes and a no sort of answer. I'd love to give the blanket responses yes, but the thing is, this is a great illustration. If you have uh, peripheral neuropathy, uh, and particularly in a diabetic population where the neuropathy, that sensation loss in the bottom of the feet, um, has also caused inflammation, so you have a pain factor connected with it, then you're layering on a psychological dimension of what the feet are going to feel like once you start to stimulate them. So one of the things that I have to do is I have to do uh, two two sets of responses. One, I have to see if I can get the foot comfortable enough to provide enough stimulation where we can start to break up some of the toxins that have built up in the bottom of the feet, uh, typically uric acid, calcification clusters, and calcium bicarbonate are the major components that build up around the nerve endings in the bottom of the feet. Fortunately, there's several approaches that we can use now for this, um, and one of them is a vibroacoustic technology, so we can get targeted vibroacoustics right into the feet, and particularly through the water. So I use a water medium. I use a uh, communal. It's called an Ashiyu foot spa, and so I have uh, my clients actually soak their feet for about 15 minutes before I even lay a finger on them. You soak it in this foot spa called Ashiyu, A-E-S-H-U-E-U-I? It's it's A-S-H-I-Y-U. So (laughs) I know you were tempted to say Gesundheit, right? (laughs) (laughs) So before you even actually put your hands on them or do any treatment at all, they have to soak their feet first. Right, right. Now, the other element of that equation is to have people then become body focused. So by having the sensation come through the feet, um, this is an old beat beat cop trick, actually, what they would train police officers to do when they wanted to move folks that um, were reluctant to move or were asleep on the street, is they would show them that what you do is you strike the bottom of their foot, and that radiates through the whole body. It's a very, very sensitive area. And as a result, what we do is when we have the folks, individuals, they relax their feet, then we can actually get in to those tense areas where the uric acid um, or these other calcification clusters or bicarbonate have built up, and we can start to dissolve those. Now, the fascinating thing about this in terms of Parkinson's is once we start to dissolve those crystals, if a foot is flexing properly, so if you have the plantar fascia flexing it creates what's known in engineering terms as a windless effect, and it pumps the contaminants back out and into the body and through the kidneys and then out of the body. When the foot is not flexing, and of course numb feet is one of the conditions that oftentimes with the first occurrence in symptomology of Parkinson's, there's this sensation to flex the feet and almost activate, try to get what they feel as something stuck in there out. And when we start to revive this, this sensation, you'll actually see 
um, some tremors come back because we are realivening that area. Now, what's interesting is that the psychological dimension of this, just like as I mentioned with diabetic neuropathy, the psychological fear of actually having pressure to the foot then immobilizes people. The psychological fear of not being in control of your movement actually starts to immobilize some of our Parkinson's sufferers. And so as we activate these nerve endings in the feet, we actually start to give them more confidence in their movement and their motion. So a person who might currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's calms, they get the uh, treatment for 15 minutes of soaking their feet in the uh, she or foot uh, spa, and then you begin to uh, attempt to activate these uh, uh, neural sensors in the feet. How long does it take uh, to be able for a person to be able to reactivate everything that needs to be reactivated in the feet? Uh, great, great question. It, in the initial experience that I'm having, I usually take about 15 minutes then on each foot, and I focus in on the structure of each foot because this is going to be coincident with a form of Tai Chi movement that I'm going to instigate with them. And one of the things that the body uh, very effectively communicates to a therapist through the feet is symmetry. Since the feet are carrying 98% of the body's weight on top of them all the time, anything that's out of balance shows up very quickly in the muscular tendon structure of the foot. And so as I go through each foot, I start to get a, a, a sense of what the body is looking like. I also look at the wear pattern and gait pattern both inside outside by examining the shoes while they're soaking for the 15 minutes. So at that point, after I'm able to move uh, a sufficient number of clusterings that I've discovered in the foot, so I'm able to move those toxins out, I'll then put them on uh, a portable acupressure walkway where it has stones embedded into it, and they will actually walk on the walkway themselves. They'll listen to their body, and they'll activate these acupressure points in the bottom of their feet to greatly enhance the sensational response. Um, that's that's actually a, a, an amazing thing to see happen because you can see people with enli literally enlivened feet and how much more uh, efficiently they start to move, both normally and, and bilaterally. This is a walkway with stones then? Yes, yes. Now, this is a National Institutes of Health random control trial proven device uh, that was looked at based on traditional Chinese medicine gardens that have stones that people take their uh, their shoes off and walk barefoot on on a daily basis as a, as a ritualized practice. But what they did when they studied this response at the Oregon Research Institute is they looked at uh, the clinical measures of regulation of blood pressure and flexibility and balance, and they found clinically that those three measures were, were greatly improved, significantly improved with this acupressure walkway. Uh, so what it does, and that's where you really have to puzzle, and oftentimes um, we like to say that 
Western and Eastern medicine, allopathic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, sort of meet in different places in the body. One of them happens to be if you're diagnosed with hypertension, you'll often be sent for a renal, a, a kidney scan. And when you ask why that's the case, why am I getting this, this script to go and get a, a kidney scan, oftentimes the, in the medical Western world, it'll be hard for them to articulate why that's happening. In the Western tradition, it's difficult for them to see the uh, equilibrium of the body fluid flow through the kidney as a main center. Um, what we see with the acupressure walkway is that it's it's clearly uh, and statistically significantly sh- regulating the blood pressure through the activation of the kidneys. And, and I, I bring this up because now I have a foot in a situation with a Parkinson's patient where the foot is not going to flex sufficiently to be able to do the kind of detox that I want it to do once the body's in motion. So what I'll have to do uh, is I'll have to actually activate the kidneys from the saliva glands in the jaws. Now, that's a very interesting process because what people will report when they walk on the, uh, the cobblestone walkway is they'll report that their mouths are getting dry. And it's because the kidneys, when they need to flush these toxins that have been pushed back into the body through the feet, they go to the nearest reservoir of fluid in the body that's available, and that happens to be the saliva glands. The interesting thing from a Parkinson's standpoint is if you're having problems with choking or swallowing, what you can do is you can stimulate these three points in the jaw and actually get the saliva glands to almost milk and relax that tension in the neck and jaw. There are points that a person can press on around the jaw that will do that? Yes, there's a mandible point, there's a throat point, and there's what's known as a sublingual point, so it's actually uh, midway down the jawbone. People can find this for themselves. If they just take their thumb and they just start running it down the jawbone, you'll find a little notch point on the jaw. And it's right at that notch that if you reach in just slightly and you start pressing, you'll notice there's a sensitive area. And you can actually, once you start pressing that, you'll feel the response of the saliva. What I, what I, and there's a sequence to doing this, and so the best, best way to illustrate how this is done, especially with children when I need to do this, is I'll actually hold um, a tasty morsel in front of them. And it's, <laughs> it's actually the sequence that the body activates. Uh, so it's, it's above, it's, it's the point right behind the jaw, Mm-hmm. Um, where they meet, that's the first one because that's loosening of the jaw, and then the one in the neck, <laughs> and then the one in the in the tongue area. So it's jaw for loosening to chew, it's neck for preparing to swallow, and it's tongue for digestive element. People are probably thinking to themselves, acupressure walkway. I wonder how I get one of those. <laughs> Is that something that people can even get? Oh yeah, yeah. They're 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 readily available. They're um, the studies that were done on this were done back in 2005 and 2006, and it, the the way I came in contact with them is I work with a a lobbying group in Washington D.C. that's called Generations United. 
and they advocate for interaction across the generations and the lifespan. And my program, this Ancient Walking to Primal Rhythms program, was the only one in the database that looked at improving balance and movement between children and seniors together. And so they sent me these maps because they had just granted the information and uh, the research funding to Oregon Research Institute, and um, I received the maps at the same time to take them through a practicum trial. And uh, as a result, as I was working with them, I was devising them more for um, the realistic applications as opposed to the, the kind of clinical results that they were getting. So in my revised program, it makes it a lot more accessible to people to be able to come in and start using these devices. Somebody listening might be thinking to themselves, hmm, okay, well, I'm not sure that I want to go to the effort and the energy and the expense of getting an acupuncture walkway. Maybe what I need to do is just start walking on the rocks in my garden. Would that be advisable or not? Yes, yes. In fact, I have several of these built in public municipality areas. Um, I've put one in on the the campus here in um, Boca Raton, and then there are several actually up in the Pacific Northwest in in park settings. So um, you can see those. You can readily search those out. You can go to my, my website, which you've got um, located on the information with the program, and, and you can see examples of those walkways that are that are located in different um, different settings. And certainly you can build, this is definitely a, a do-it-yourself kind of operation where you can build one of these very easily. They're based on a long-standing tradition of what's known in Europe, particularly in Germany, as the Barfußpad, so the barefoot path. So to be clear for everyone, if they decide they want to go walk on rocks, whether they make them themselves or go to a public place or purchase an acupuncture walkway, it's not about walking with your shoes on, as I understand it. The idea is that you take your shoes off and either walk barefoot or or with your socks. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Um, there are levels of footwear that I use that are min- what they call minimalist. So you've often seen now these coming into the market where they separate the toes. There are little pockets for each one of the toes, and they they kind of look like, as I've been often referred to, as walking around with gecko feet. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, well, toe reflex response is also another uh, very important reflex to keep activated. Um, And so that's, again, why you want to have a broad toe box to prevent falling is that little micronic stretching of the toes actually neurologically instigates a response throughout the body. So a best illustration of this is I can take a seven-month-old who can't walk and make sure I have a very confident mom nearby. (laughs) And I'll take the child and I'll start to tilt it to the left or right, and you'll see the toes. The, The toes will actually spread. And, and that's a good indication of that, that response, that Babinski reflex. You'll see um, the, the foot being able to grapple and the toes being able to spread. And, and so when you access things in your bare feet, now with, with the Parkinson's condition, what we have with this particular mat that I'm using is it's got magnets 
built into the stones, into the high point stones. And I can actually circumvent or, or obviate, actually is probably a better way to look at it, is uh, dystonia reaction, so on dystonia response. Because I, um, unlike some of the folks that are using a foot-focused technique with Parkinson's recovery, um, I, I don't limit myself to someone that's only been uh, off medications or, or hasn't been taking synthetic dopamine um, responsive medications because the synthetic dopamine response in the body as the feet are stimulated by the stones, they'll they'll create a catastrophic response because remember that sensation that's coming to the feet to the dopaminized body is is extreme stimulation that it can't it can't control as a tremor. So what it does is it starts to curl the toes and cramp the leg muscles. Uh, if we take magnets and then rub the bottom of the feet right after that dystonia response and then put them right back onto the, the stone walkway, the cobblestone walkway, they will not have the dystonia reaction. So that's a very intriguing response that they are able to activate for themselves and really become an empowered patient on, on their own behalf. To be sure. If you'd like to be able to actually talk with Randy now and ask him questions, call our toll-free number. It's 877-590-0733. Call now. Randy, can you describe what you mean by neurodiversity and how it can flourish under a program of what you term constraint-induced therapy, like your ancient walking to primal rhythms, unfocused eye movement technique? Uh, that's a great, great question, um, because what we're seeing is, when we're talking about constraint-induced, that's actually an illustration of delivering that kind of stimulation to the bottom of the feet that is rather chaotic. And as the body, the body adjusts and adapts to that chaos response, it starts to order the system. So one of the things that we do is we integrate then a technique to calibrate the three main balance centers in the body. So the unfocused eye movement technique is actually a technique that takes the eyes as the main balance center out of the equation and then it overstimulates the inner ear response and forces the body to use the often lagging proprioceptive sensation. And that, that sensation, that proprioceptive sensation, is simply knowing where our body parts are in time and space. And when you make the body do that without having the other balance centers to rely on, the calibration sequence with this constrained-induced therapy happens a lot faster, the, the holistic response in the body. Um, in other words, what I do in a typical one-hour session is I'll have someone try to stand on one foot with their eyes closed at the beginning of the session, and they may, may last just a few seconds. After we go through the session, I'll have them repeat that process, and they can pretty much stand um, for as long as they would like that point, if they've got the musculature for it and the, and the, post, and the posture um, sufficient for it. So they get a sensation of what it is to have that kind of confidence back in the body. 
Explain more, if you would please, exactly what unfocused eye movement is. Well, we had a, a great session this morning as a, as a really good example. So when we're doing unfocused eye movement, what we do, this is actually a technique that many people may have been familiar with from watching ballerinas do pirouettes, um, watching people in martial arts spin around and kick a very high spot behind them. So what they're doing is in that time span between their target and their movement, so their focus point, is they are maintaining the body's positioning. So the best way to see that happen with a child is I, I take and I put little happy faces on each of their hands right below the ring finger. And what I'll ask them to do is I'll ask them to put one hand up beside their head and the other hand will come right down where the navel is as if they're shaking hands with the pizza delivery guy. And then I'll say, okay, what I want you to do is just simply alternate hands. Bring the hand that's up by your ear that has the happy face that you're looking at. Bring that down to your navel and bring that other hand up to the other side of your head and look at that happy face on the other hand. But what I want you to do is keep your head completely level and your eyes only focusing on the two happy faces. And so as a result, what happens is the head pivots from one side to the other. And if you're looking at someone that was directly in front of you as you did this movement, so say you were going to do a patty cake, for example, with someone, and they were right across and you were going to start with shaking hands and then your other hand up beside your ear. As you rotated, you know you're doing it properly when the person you're looking at across from you looks like they suddenly have gone from one head to two heads because your point of focus is only to the extreme left and to the extreme right. The eye stays unfocused in between the movement. And you also use this similar technique when you work with individuals who currently have the symptoms of Parkinson's too. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what I do is I do a technique. This is also a very accessible um, database of information. It's called Super Brain Yoga. And the component of the Super Brain Yoga that I use in the Ancient Walking to Primal Rhythms is the stimulation of the master cerebellum point in the ear. It's as you look at the ear, it's just above the earlobe, right on the edge of the ear. Uh, it's actually a notch that the thumb fits right into. And that pressure point, so it's well illustrated in the super brain yoga technique. That, that particular pressure point is very important because it feeds into the limbic brain response. Because remember, what we're doing in the unfocused eye movement is as we rotate the head back and forth, we are actually activating a very interesting muscle set in the body, the sternocleidomastoids, so the neck muscles, which are fed by both spinal and cranial nerves. But that cranial nerve set feeds right into the olfactory part of the brain and the limbic brain response. So what we're doing is we're setting the body up for a very interesting 
survival, flight or fight response. It's 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 trained to go to move the head in the position where the rest of the body is going to go to. So that little pressure point on the ear actually connects into the archaic muscle set that used to allow the ear. You know, you know folks that can flex and move their ears voluntarily? Yeah. That muscle set still is in existence and feeds right also into the limbic brain. So you can see the coordinated response that we're doing with these nerve sets between the vesto, the visual, and the ocular, the, the eye and the ear response. What is walking to primal rhythms? So that involves sound as well? No, actually the the, the rhythmic component of the ancient walking to primal rhythms involves setting up the rhythm of movement pattern in the body. And so what I mean by that is we all know muscle memory, training muscle memory and the importance of that. But we don't really think about, well, what sets that muscle memory up? And so interestingly enough, what's often seen in um, Physical therapy, kinds of a recreational therapy approaches with Parkinson's is folks like Angela will go out and they will play tennis. And, of course, their symptoms will go away as they play tennis. Same thing with boxing, see, same thing with bicycling, with, with swimming oftentimes. And so the interesting thing about that is what's going on? What's, what's creating that kind of remediation with the symptomology? And when you're looking at rhythm response, what you're seeing actually is that there's a central pattern generation of the rhythm such that if we're going to set up even the most simplest of motions, our brain anticipates that movement and that motion, and it sets up a whole cascading set of rhythms, much like a conductor sets up the orchestra. So in the ancient walking to primal rhythms is we're actually talking to that orchestra director, that conductor, and suggesting different ways for the conductor to set the patterns of movement up. So we're sort of keeping that central pattern generating coach on duty. And we're not even involved in muscle memory reaction. So it's a very sophisticated kind of approach. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot behind what's happening with it. Um, deep brain stimulation is is getting to that to a certain extent, of course, surgically. But we're looking at principally at, at you know non-surgical, non-medical interventions here. So that's that's what we're getting at with the the rhythmic approach. Now, what I'm very excited about with the sound applications is I talked a little bit about using tuning forks in this water medium of the Ashiyo Foot Spa. That's still a very crude delivery system. We're we're seeing now really nice targeted vibroacoustics in um, flotation tank systems, and so that's an intriguing area that's emerging as a um, accessible medical kind of device and tool that's using targeted vibroacoustics and harmonics, so that someone is actually. Um, lying in a used to be the, they were always referred to as isolation or sensory deprivation chambers, but that's um, that's long gone by the wayside. Now we've got uh, visual and auditory response and vibration response.
being delivered in those flotation tanks. We're very excited because we're going to have a, a new system brought into our area here in South Florida and Delray Beach um, next month. Oh, I would love to float in one of those tanks. Next time in Florida, <laughs> well, <laughs> so I need to be your first participant. <laughs> I, I'm I'm excited because when um, when we're trying to do this lowering of inflammation um, and neurolo- neurological response in the in the feet, when we can deliver that kind of vibration through the body, because. Um, the interesting thing to think about with the isolation, the, the sensory deprivation of the float, float uh, therapy is what it's being referred to con- in the contemporary approach, is I, I put Epsom salts into the water a lot of times to make the water more conducive to the vibration, but I'm not putting in the pounds. Uh, they're putting in about eight pounds per gallon in a flotation tank, so you're, you're actually in liquefied crystal. So you can imagine what the conducive effect of liquefied crystal is to the vibration. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that's supporting both I- inducement and migration of stem cell stimulation in that environment. So that that takes you into a whole other <laughs> scope of discussion. <laughs> oh, that sounds really exciting to me. What a development. What an invention. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I would never profess neurogenesis uh, in what we're doing. We we can certainly sort of stimulate axions to create new pathways, and we know that through amputee response. So if you've got a a person that's had a limb amputated and they also uh, they have coincident phantom pain, so they still have that pain from the the limb that's missing. The fascinating thing about that pain is that innervation map I talked about. Where those nerve clusters are the most intense, that's where the phantom pain is often the hardest to kind of eliminate. Uh, so the fingertips are often an area, for example, if someone has lost an arm, that, that it's hard to eliminate the pain with or the itching sensation. But when you do a technique called mirror-mirror technique and you have the brain look at the real limb as if it's the missing limb, so you have the brain thinking that the missing limb is now back in action and moving by holding a mirror to it and letting oh. the brain see that response. Right. The brain will set up a new neural path. It won't try to run through the interference that it receives when it tries to go down the, the dead end, so to speak. So that is another fascinating um, element that comes into play in this technique that we're using with the ancient walking to primal rhythms. An eloquent solution to a horrible challenge that many people confront. Randy mentioned Angela. She was a guest on this Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show back at the end of last year. So you'll find she gives many, many, many fascinating suggestions and recommendations of therapies that she has tried. Angela's also written some information in a blog form and uh, given me permission to post that on the Parkinson's Recovery blog so you can see her story about what she's discovered is making a big difference. There's also a picture, I believe, of her at your clinic, and she's got her feet in the rocks, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so That's correct. That's she, correct. She, she talks about her experience with you, and uh, she was one of the individuals that strongly recommended that um, it would be wonderful to have you on the show so people could learn more about your incredible work. 
you are known in the region as the foot whisperer. Many people don't live in Delray Beach, Florida, and are thinking, okay, I live in Canada, I live in California. If they look in the phone book for Foot Whisperer, will they find somebody locally that can help them, just like you help people in Florida? <laughs> That's a very good question, and I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I suspect that the type of therapy approach that we're using um, and the way that we've come upon it is probably fairly innovative in that sense. Um, so what they'll want to do is they'll want to um, source me. Uh, I'm very prevalent in terms of the connections between the foot whisperer and balance and the work that I do. Uh, so actually, you know, you've got the website there, but just a, a search of my name and foot whisperer balance is going to pull up several different blog sites that I contribute heavily to, including one that's very interesting called the Bunyan Experiment. Um, and this is a, uh, what I like about it is it's a very uh, objective, unbiased view of looking at alternative treatments for uh, Bunyan conditions with the feet. And there's a lot of evidence that we're seeing between um, alignment of the body and the posture and the work that I'm doing, particularly as I mentioned about the jaw and the saliva gland stimulation, but between where the points in the jaw and skull meet and those critical um, meningeal dural tubes that actually flow down the spine and connect into the pelvis. And the reason I bring this up is because when we're doing our movement therapy work with Tai Chi, um, we're really focusing on keeping the head and the pelvis in the proper position as we move so that we're very energy efficient. And there's a lot of research that's starting to show that when you can increase the energy efficiency in the body, if you look at Parkinson's like I do as an electrical problem, um, you can start to conserve energy and even do some amazing things with controlling. Uh, you can bypass the typical contralateral response that the brain does, where you know most people know left brain controls right side of the body and, and vice versa. You, you can start to suggest, especially when you look at how the eyes and ear information is processed in the brain, it is, it, it's not contralaterally processed in the brain. So it, it gives us clues, it gives us some keys into rewiring that connection more efficiently from the brain through the body. So that's a complicated answer, but I uh, just wanted to make sure that folks knew that a lot of this information is accessible out there. Randy Eadie spells his last name E-A-D-Y. And would you like to uh, also report here on the show the website or two that you would recommend people visit? Some people don't actually have computers. They're just listening on their phones. The, uh, the best place to, to find me in this regard is at Koshare Rhythms. Now, that's spelled K O. R, I'm sorry, K-O-S-H-A-R-E-Y, and then rhythms.com. And I should explain the koshare, what that, what that re resembles and, and represents. That is known as the uh, therapeutic clown of the uh, Pueblo Indian tribe that focused on work between young children and elders in their community. 
And so that's, and of course, the Koshari runs around barefoot. <laughs> ah, that's a perfect name for your website. <laughs> so the that's Koshari Rhythm much. site, yeah. Uh-huh. Or you can find me actually very easily on uh, the on Facebook. So the letter O, the number two, the letter B, and the number four, and the word again, O to B four again. That website again, for those of you who might be writing that down and missed it the first time, is www. And I'm going to now spell all the letters: K O S H A R E Y R H Y T H M S dot com. Randy, what part do you think medicalization or the process of diagnosing and treating many of the major systems like uncontrolled movement with synthetic artificial dopamine plays in recovery? Uh, that's a challenging question because in some cases um, the empowerment of the patient gets severely shifted in the diagnosis and medicalization process. And so while it is a personal choice, um, it certainly makes it difficult in some cases to be able to engage and find an effective solution through other forms of therapy, such as the recreational or the physical activity therapies that we were talking about, like Tai Chi or or tennis, or bicycling, those kinds of movement activities. Uh, And I bring that up from my standpoint where I oftentimes have people activating and walking on that cobblestone walkway as my first process before I even start to Tai Chi with them because their balance oftentimes, um, because of the medications they've been taking, has been really, really severely uh, compromised. So it's it's really a, it's a personal choice question, but it it it's one that you have to look at from the standpoint of what are the medications doing from the standpoint of of true recovery and the direction that I want to go in as a as a uh, as a person trying to feel holistically well. You see many people as clients, children, adults, and they have different kinds of challenges. What has been your experience in working with individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's? Are people getting relief from their symptoms? Are they recovering? I, I, yes. I'm seeing as they as they interact with the different components, they, they all have unique responses to it. But I'm seeing a, a mediation a lot of times. Of, of symptoms where they've found that they feel they're under control. Um, and as the process uh, moves along, they start to select what components um, they find is most effective for them. So that's why the, the ancient walking to primal rhythms, while it's an umbrella, um, sometimes it actually gets actioned on and, and uh, really utilized in one form as Tai Chi, in another form as the acupressure walkway, in another form as this unfocused eye movement. So it's it's actually what I found 
is it's, it's become truly individualized. And that's why this holistic approach is, is very important. And that, that understanding that the client has to really listen, become a careful listener of their own body so that they can actually lead and guide their own therapy response. And that's an empowering, but it can also be a very fearful sort of engagement um, when you're not in a supportive environment. And, and again, uh, <laughs> I was going to say I was going to put an applause out to uh, to Angela and the support group that she has around her because I see that as a very important element to to her continuing quest for recovery. She's a model for everyone. Angela really <laughs> knows how to gather together people who can support her in her road to recovery. She's quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. The title of your program really sounds poetic to me. Now, was this on purpose? <laughs> well, very good of you to ask. Uh, the interesting thing is, yeah, um, while I may have been sounding like a madman, there's actually method to the madness. And <laughs> in in the, the poetry aspect of rhyme and reason, what we're looking at is since, interestingly enough, National Poetry Awareness Month and Parkinson's Awareness Month happen to coincide together in April. And I'm working with a wonderful model from a poet um, process called How Pedestrian. And in this process, Catherine takes poets and poetry and has people read poetry on um, in a documented form on video. And so what we're looking at doing for next year is setting up a very nice program where we're going to combine Parkinson's and poetry and have people that with Parkinson's read poems that they've written or just read poems that have been influential and motivational to them, and we're going to compile this together. That was one of the aspects of what we were getting at is with the rhyme and rhythm element of bringing the two together. What a wonderful idea. Is this then to begin now and be finalized over the entire year? Or has this gotten off the ground yet? Uh, we haven't gotten it off the ground yet. We've had uh, numerous discussions and we're, we're prepared to move it into place. We are actually looking at the same time at the response of what's known as um, animal-assisted therapy and an animal-assisted therapy, what we're discovering is harmonics and vibrations, such as, for example, a cat's purr. Um, we're finding that the benefit of that vibration actually also feeds into the poetry concept. So as we, as we look at poetry as a therapy, we're looking at the ways that we can blend the harmonics and the rhythm and the vibroacoustics that we're doing into that environment so that what we'd really like to do is look at launching something for, say, example, next year's um, World Parkinson's Council event, uh, that kind of thing, so that we could set up for both April but then move through the rest of the fall, spring and then the summer of next year to bring this, bring this out to the Parkinson's community and, and the community at large. All of those of you listening who are poets, you have now, obviously, an opportunity for your work to become public. 
So it sounds like uh, when you get this organized, what we'll have to do, Randy, is get you back on the show so we can put out the news of how people can participate in this. It sounds quite quite amazing, quite fascinating, and truly revolutionary. I, I think it's uh, – I, I really appreciate that, and I uh, appreciate your um, putting the word out because uh, I would love to do that. Once we formalize it, and it's going to be formalized fairly quickly within the next six to eight weeks, um, we'll be able to get the word out on exactly the structure and, and how we want to put this together. In the meantime, what you can do to get a sense of the person that I'm working with, you can go to howpedestrian.ca and see some of Catherine's work. She was recently down in Miami and, and did some work down here. But I, she has not taken poetry into the therapeutic realm, so that's where we're really delineating these finer points so that we can make sure that the message gets out in a, in a very nicely uh, targeted fashion. So it's www.howpedestrian, is that right? Mm-hmm. Dot pedest- C-A? Dot C-A, yes. What practical suggestions would you like to offer now to individuals who currently experience movement challenges. What can a person do right now that will make a difference? One of the first things they can do is actually (laughs) reach down and find out how much sensation they actually have in their feet. That's one of the most practical things you can do is beginning to flex the feet properly. So what you want to do is just reach down, start rubbing the arch, rubbing around the toes, and feeling that you're getting that response. And then also what you'll find is you may discover that you have a little bit of these contaminants in there. Don't be afraid to just press on those and start to dissolve those. It's one of the most practical things I think people can do. And the other thing that happens Um, and again, this also connects back to what we do with the bunions, is people start to look at their feet as um, disfigured, dysfunctional. They start to do the psychological dissociation with their feet. And so that's the biggest practical advice I'd say and recommend is make friends with your feet again. (laughs) (laughs) See how beautiful they really are. Yeah. Well, there is Leonardo... uh, Da Vinci said, you know, they're a masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No matter what shape they're in, they're true masterpieces. Well said. What would you say to an individual listening to this show right now who has just been diagnosed with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease? Physical activity. <laughs> Two words. <laughs> Two words. That's you know that's that's the path to uh, pursue if you're capable of it, um, and and even if you have not been an adherent to to physical kinds of activity, you know it's that first step out the door. Just to get that progress going, just to get that movement going, is is a key is really a, a key aspect to maintaining. Um, both a physical and mental state of well-being. You've mentioned Tai Chi several times. Why is it that Tai Chi is so helpful to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's? 
Well, what Tai Chi does in, in its most simplest form is it coordinates the breathing, balance, and literally the bilateral coordination in the body so that the lymphatic fluid will effectively move around the body. You know, we, we think of our hearts and we think of the circulation that the heart does in terms of, um, of blood. But the interesting thing is we don't think about how lymphatic fluid moves around the body. Well, the ancient Chinese were very serious about this because if you look back at the pedigree of Tai Chi, you discover that, in essence, it's sort of like a peasant calisthenics. <laughs> and so in ancient China, of course, there's a lot of walking around. So walking around wasn't their emphasis. Their emphasis was how can we move opposite hand and foot in the most effective and coordinated fashion to keep the lymphatic fluid flowing in the body. Uh, and so what I do with Tai Chi is we actually start the process of getting the body used to moving opposite hand and foot. And now what I do in my program is a very progressive one because I'm doing a program with special needs children, for example, called Toes Nose, and it's the only one in the state of Florida a Tai Chi program focused on special needs children. And then I'm working with very, very senior populations that have never engaged in these kinds of movements before. So I'll start in a seated position, and I'll actually dress rehearse what it means to move opposite hand and foot at the same time while we engage the sensation of breathing. And, and what I mean by that is if I were to, well, if you think about people that have ever golfed before, and you start to tell them all of these discrete kinds of movements that they have to go through to swing a golf club, they get very befuddled with trying to remember all of the coordinated sequences. So that's the same thing that happens in Tai Chi is I'll bring up the point of breathing and people will start to consciously focus too much on their breathing. So what I'll say is just feel how the body responds to your exhalation as you blow, for example, your you know, breath across your fingertips or across the back of your hand. And so that's how I start to engage the breathing in the process. And so for the for the little children, what I always like to say to them is Tai Chi is really just three Bs, three little Bs, you know, and they're thinking in their minds about big bumblebees buzzing around. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, what, what we've got here is we've got balance, breathing, and then the sophisticated thing called bilateral coordination. But that's, I'll show them, that's just simply the hand and foot moving in the opposite direction at the same time. And, uh, and there's processes that can be enacted to make this a lot, uh, to make it move smoothly and simply. So when you say the hand and foot are moving in opposite directions, it would mean, for example, the left foot is moving out and the right hand is moving back? Yes, yes. And now that's where you get into a level of sophistication. It's very interesting. Uh, when you start to do pattern response, so if I was to start moving opposite hand and foot um, consecutively over and over, the, the brain would take over that response and not let the body meditate on the movement. So what we like to say in Tai Chi, Tai Chi is body, what they call moving meditation. But to really understand it in its essential form, to have the body meditating and the mind moving requires that the pattern generator of the mind not become engaged. 
so tai, that's where the the sophistication, the genius of Tai Chi, uh, really evolves. In that, if you follow the sequence of movements, the initial movements will not allow the brain to take over. It'll let the body move gently in this meditative state without any stress. So that's that's what we're getting at. Um, a good example is when you're opening a form. One form is called parting the wild horse's mane. So if you have if you have the two palms. In fact, you can actually see in the article that was recently published um, where we're doing a Tai Chi program with Angela. You can see my hands and her hands together in this parting the wild horse's mane movement. And so what we do is we have our hands in front of our body. One hand is right around the navel like it's holding a ball. It's the palm up. And the other hand is above it. And what we're doing is we're stepping out with that same hand and foot on that side. And then we alternate our hand position. So as the hand that's down below in the navel comes up and flips over, and so the palm is facing down, as those hands come together and we step back in, that's actually the first bilateral coordination movement that we do. So in the process of doing parting the wild horse's mane as a Tai Chi form, we are actually disguising the movement so the brain cannot pick up on that pattern. <laughs> so it's a, very, it's a dance. It's, it's truly a body dance in terms of that meditation. That's very eloquent. It looks to me like then that the brain has this incredible series of programs that are implemented instantly, literally, whenever we move in any one particular place or manner. And what a lot of this does is it allows for there to be a renewal of the way the brain is actually functioning. And it's also allowing the brain to get out of the way of the body. Exactly. Well said, well said. Well, that's amazing work. Do you do phone consultations for people at long distance, or is it necessary for them to actually come and see you in person? No, no, I do I do phone consultations as well. Um, and there's also quite a bit of video documentation of the work that I do. Um, another handy website to, to pull up and take a look at with me working with the cobblestone walkway and the foot spa, it's called Seat. <laughs> So www.seat, S-E-A-T, and, A-N-D, feet, F-E-E-T, <laughs> dot com. That's great. I love it. And so in, in, <laughs> yeah, feet and feet dot com. Uh, and so I have a lot of folks that are not able to ambulate and, and, and not able to get to um, a lot of locations. And actually, that's my motivation for creating the portable garden setups that I have with my with my therapeutic garden design. You can find those in various locations around the world, but um, the portable ones are for those that can't get to those locations. We can actually bring the therapy components right to their door. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. How do people contact you if they'd like to be able to make an appointment uh, and get a consultation long distance? Uh, the best way to do it is to contact me through um, through my website or um, 
my clinic here is it's the red tent. So uh, Randy at red r e d tent t e n t wellness dot com. And is there a phone number too that people need to know about at your clinic? Um, the best way is actually uh, call me at nine five four two five four nine four three one. Do you have any uh, DVDs or books, Randy, that people need to know about? We're we're actually right now putting the book together. So we do have the instruction book that goes with the walkway. That's that's complete. People can get that. They can download portions of it. Um, off of that Kosharia Rhythms website. The DVD, I'm um, working with a videographer to put that together right now. So maybe in the next program, the poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you a- when you get these, uh, when you get these uh, things that are finalized, uh, you need to come back on and, and so we can tell people about them and how they can actually get them. I can also put links up on the Parkinson's Recovery website, too, so that when people see that, they'll be able to actually know more about what you've actually generated. Yeah. I know uh, many people would love to see a book. And, and the, the the actual instruction booklet that comes with, with the cobblestone walkway is based on these um, energy principles. It's called cactus fingerprints. And the interesting thing about cactus uh, and thorn formation in the cactus is it sets up a very individual pattern, much like our print fingerprints. And, you know, when you turn your fingers over and you look at the fingerprint design or toe print design, same thing, you'll see uh, a spiral formation. And that spiraling energy uh, illustration on your fingertips is one that we activate in the ancient walking to primal rhythms with the understanding of chi energy flow in the body. And so that's another important element. And, of course, cactus <laughs> is sort of the response some people have when they first look at the cobblestone walkway. <laughs> you going to make me walk on this <laughs> bed of nails? <laughs> it's, like, it's like walking across spider. <laughs> yeah. uh, my heavens. Yeah. Have you always been working in this particular area, Randy, or is this a relatively new venture for you? Um, I've been working in the therapeutic uh, aspect of rehabilitation for about 16 years uh, through my previous career in the the Department of Defense. But the other part of my background that connects into all of this um, is in anthropology. And so I worked, um, I was uh, on the faculty at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs and the course chair of the cultural anthropology program where we went and did a lot of Native American fieldwork activities and consultation. So a lot of the work that we're doing based on nature principles is based on uh, my my undergraduate work was actually with Native Americans um, and the Hodassanae, the tribe of the Iroquois, out in um, upstate and western New York and all the way over now through Montana when I was... um, in the active duty military out there, uh, also working, and then down in, in Colorado with the cadets. 
And then um, I had the chance while I was in California. What's interesting for people, if they want to see my technical experience and background, there's, um, there's a couple of website uh, videos out on YouTube that actually feature me doing work, highly technical work. Um, that's While it's not related to therapy, the interesting thing about the applications in some cases, the, the one video, it's called Combat I, it's E-Y-E, I was a program manager for a, an extensive activity with using short pulse lasers. And I think that's really what um, got me interested in looking now at the vibroacoustics because the short pulse laser is actually based on a bone density measurement system in the medical um, arena. We just happen to take it from millimeters to kilometers in distance of application. <laughs> change <laughs> yeah yeah well we had uh we had an instigation for that um there was a, there was uh, again that was back in the, the early 2000s and there was a lot of interest in finding um al-qaeda individuals that were hiding on cloudy nights to elude aerial surveillance <laughs> so in essence we've sort of come full circle on that technology too but i think people would find that interesting to to look that youtube video up and uh and they'd need to know that it took five years before I could get release <laughs> on that technology and to show it out in the public. <laughs> oh my goodness. But it's a, it's an interesting technology, and it, it just gives an illustration because if you take that process that's working with photons um, of light energy and you then translate that over into sound vibration, the um, acoustic hyperlens that's being developed at Berkeley right now is a technology that we're accessing to be able to deliver that and, and uh, the, the whole realm of sound applications uh, these targeted vibroacoustics in medicine is just expanding by leaps and bounds it's it's really amazing what's starting to happen with this type of technology so we're just I'm just looking at one sliv sliver of it with this uh, flotation tank concept. Um, there's other areas that they're looking at where identifying the propagation effects of sound can be very beneficial, not only for, for example, releasing um, medicines that have been delivered into the body and then hitting them with a sound wave, but being able to do ablative, very targeted ablative um, neuroinflammation, trimming nerve endings kinds of things where you can't get to the pain relief any other way but through the sonic vibration. So those are those are the kinds of things that are that are just becoming very much more prevalent and ap and actioned on and applicated. These are exciting times indeed. Is there any question that I haven't asked you that I need to be sure and ask you, Randy? Good question. Um <laughs> I think I think we've got it covered. You are doing amazing work, I must say. It's uh, it's creative, it's revolutionary, it's obviously making a huge difference, and uh, it's been quite an honor for me to be able to learn more about your work. I've got all of these websites that are listed on sheets of paper, so I'm going to hang up the phone and go rush over to my computer and watch all the videos and the websites and learn more about the incredible work that you're actually doing. And so for those of you who are listening, 
just to be clear, these are natural things that you can do for yourself. These are empowerment opportunities, and you can get more information, help, and assistance by calling Randy Eads directly or visiting his website and looking at a lot of the information that he has uh, out there. And you can look forward here, it sounds like in the next couple of months, for an announcement uh, about the uh, Poetry and Parkinson's program. So we'll be sure to uh, disseminate that information, too, for those of you who are poets, who have poems here and there. This is your opportunity, so get them brushed up and get them ready because you're going to have an opportunity, obviously, to air your work publicly. Randy, yeah. thanks so much uh, today for being on the show. It's been quite fascinating. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all of the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you are on the road to recovery. Join us next week, same time, same station, 3 p.m. Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern time at the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. Have a wonderful week, and we look forward to connecting with you in seven days. Good day.